Welcome, everyone, to episode 163 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this episode, it is our perennial October 31st special. It is Halloween 2021, and so we had no choice but to review the latest in the Halloween franchise, the sequel to 2018's Halloween, Halloween Kills. Before we get to that, though, with me to celebrate spooky season, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, happy Halloween. How are you doing on this fine October 31st? I'm doing well, Scott. Uh, I do think we had a choice. You know, we could have reviewed Ron's Gone Wrong, which, of course, uh, went toe to toe with Dune at the box office this past weekend. Came out the loser um, to the surprise of, of marginal. No one, but, marginal. Uh, but no, really, I think the choice was we could have done Malignant, of course, because it is out on VOD now. Um, I know it's been out for a while. I, basically, what I'm saying is I just want an excuse to watch Malignant again. Uh, because I'll give you that excuse. Slaps. When it when it goes out on HBO Max, we'll watch it together. When is it going back out on HBO Max? Probably two or three months. It'll probably like New Year's. Maybe yeah. we watched Possessor on New Year's Day last year. Could do it again. Yeah. I mean, it is the, it is still the most fun I've had at the movies this year. Uh malignant is so um but anyway we're not talking about that i'm uh i'm good uh, of course we're not actually recording this on halloween sorry but uh the reason we're not is because on halloween i will be uh at the virginia film festival um so i will be out of commission but um, are you wearing a we costume record- what movie are you seeing on on Sunday? Are you wearing a costume? Today? I'm seeing three movies actually. No, haven't. Didn't plan out a costume. Didn't plan to go as housewife uh, Olivia Coleman from uh, The Lost Daughter. Unfortunately, oh, man. I couldn't. You're pull seeing that The Lost costume. Daughter. Oh boy, what, I what am. Yeah, I couldn't pull that costume together. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We're a couple days away as we record this, but I'm very excited for the weekend. You could go full Ed Harris though. He's in that movie. You'll see him. It's always Ed Harris. It's always Ed Harris. You're not wrong about that. Well, yes, Scott let the cat out of the bag. We are not, in fact, recording on Halloween, but we do like the illusion sometimes. No, instead, we're recording a few days early, but we are definitely in the season. Scott's been watching some spooky movies. I've seen you recording Friday the 13th films. Uh, I'm seeing Scream on Sunday at the Alamo Draft House for our brunch screening. Which, so, of course, was our movie last year on Halloween. And you you stole my very next line that oh, I was about sorry. to transition into. No, it's totally fine. Uh, this time last year, we were indeed in the pandemic and watching Scream because I guess movies canceled Halloween last year. I don't really remember anything particularly spooky coming out around that time. Maybe Possessor came out then, but it didn't really have the uh, cultural awareness at the time. Although I think I that like came out like had... much earlier in the pandemic. Yeah, I feel like we had some conversation about some movie that was coming out we were like nah let's just watch scream instead <laughs> i think that you're right actually i don't remember what it was though i don't uh, either yeah well that shows how forgettable it was but this year halloween has been reinstated both the holiday and the franchise as we have david gordon Green's sequel to his own franchise soft reboot halloween kills halloween kills picks up just moments after the end of 2018's halloween michael myers is trapped in a burning house and the strode women Laurie, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, 
Karen, played by Judy Greer, and Allison, played by Andy Matichak, are en route to the hospital after their confrontation with the infamous Michael at Lori's home. As they rush Lori to receive treatment from her stab wounds, they see firefighters race in the other direction, and their anguished screams are unheard. Those firefighters ultimately rescue Michael from his inflamed tomb before he massacres all of them for their good deed. And with that, Michael is still alive and hospitalized. Laurie is effectively sidelined. With that, you might ask, what is Halloween Kills about? And Scott, it is in fact mostly about new characters or very old characters, as mostly is the case. Uh, It involves characters from Michael's past, from the original Halloween movie, um, that were all involved with his murderous sprees way back decades, decades before he was imprisoned. Uh, it includes Anthony Michael Hall's Tommy, Kyle Richards's Lindsay, and Nancy Stevens' Marion, who all form a mob of Haddonfield residents to finally end Michael's reign of terror. Scott, was Halloween Kills an effective continuation of the 2018 refresh? Or does it join the long line of franchise horror slasher sequels that are forgettable at best? Yeah, so funny story. I was going, I ended up watching this movie on the Friday that it came out, but that was not my intent. Of course, I did intend to see the movie, uh, but I wanted to go to theaters to see it, of course. Um, but uh, I that Friday, I was going to see The Last Duel, got my ticket, went to the theater. Turns out I went to the wrong theater. Um, I basically gravitate between two theaters, um, one, but kind of on either side of where I live. One's in Winston-Salem, one's in High Point. I kind of just go based on what the the times are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to the Winston-Salem theater without realizing I had bought a ticket for the one in High Point. At that point, it was far too late to because, again, High Point is on the other side of where I live from Winston-Salem. So I decided, well, I guess I will just go home and watch ha- Halloween Kills because... The lot, like the the next Halloween Kills showing was at like ten thirty, and you mean the last duel? I was not. Well, the next last duel was, but then there was also Halloween Kills, but it was like almost sold out. Like all the, all of them are almost sold out for the rest of the mm. evening. Um, so I was like, well, I'll just go home and watch it on Peacock. I'll support my good friend Scott Shelton. Um, and you know what, Scott? That was probably the the experience for this movie. Um, I I don't think the big screen would have helped it any. I I feel like I've used the word perfunctory to describe a lot of big movies this year, and uh, oh boy, does that apply to to Halloween Kills? Because this movie exists for one reason and one reason and all only, and that is so that they could make the third movie in this trilogy, Halloween Ends, uh, which we do know is coming. Um, and look, we talked about the original Halloween on the podcast. I think that episode was not the lost episode, right? I think it was the lost episode. We keep okay. I'm going to officially go back because we keep bringing this up. I feel like like which well, episode so is the lost episode? I think there were kind of two lost episodes. I think there was one that was lost altogether, and then there was one that got like really garbled, and that might have been the Halloween episode. But anyway, uh, we did talk about it. We we intended to release the podcast, whether we did or not, I don't know. But we certainly um, talked about it. I don't know if anyone yes. heard it. I quite enjoyed the 2018 version of Halloween. Um, I thought it was a very effective reboot, and I actually rewatched it in preparation for this, and I still think it holds up really well. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I like the sort of psychological angle it takes to uh, Laurie's character and really explores that trauma that she, um, you know, endured as a result of what happened in 
1978 film, which of course in this universe is the only other one that exists. Um, all the other sequels have been have been retconned. I haven't seen any of those sequels anyway. Of course, I have seen the original from 1978. It's incredible. It's a classic for a reason. It's you know, there's even though I haven't seen those sequels, I can't imagine that any of them come close to um, you know the original Halloween and 2018's doesn't either. Even though I liked it, this movie certainly doesn't. Um, Scott, in your plot description, you mentioned uh, that this movie kind of um, focuses on some characters who are involved with Michael Myers's past killing sprees. I think the word "involved" is probably generous. Um, we're talking about like the kids who Laurie was babysitting in the original movie, yeah. and for the mo- for the most part, and now they're all grown up. Uh, these are not major characters in the original Halloween, needless to say. I mean, Tom, Tommy Doyle, yes, like he is, you know, you re- you will recognize his name if you're, you know, well familiar with the the original Halloween. But he's a kid, right? He's not, the, the movie is not about him. It's about Laurie Strode. This movie is not about Laurie Strode. And Laurie Strode is still alive, so I don't understand why that was the case. Um, but they decide to... Put Laurie, put Jamie Lee Curtis in the hospital bed for three fourths of the movie, and really just not have her do anything of consequence, um, other than you know go on some rants, you know go through some more psychological trauma, and just you know kind of make a big escape at one point with her family members. But again, there she she is very much on the sidelines for this. Um, and even like Judy Greer and Andy Matichak, right? Like who they were set up really well in the first movie. Like I liked the whole trio of them. Like I thought that that was a a good way to do it. Like I thought all three characters were pretty distinct and well-developed. Even in this movie, like they, they are more of a, a, they play more of a role than Laurie does, but like, it takes a long time for them to like get involved with the action too. Um, it really is kind of in the third act that they become involved. So the large part of the movie is spent following this mob of characters around that we don't care about. Um, and it also includes like Allison's boyfriend who right, like cheats on her in the first movie. So like, I don't yeah. understand the reconciliation there. Um, Fear. His dad of evil. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a really weird movie, um, I, w- I would say in general. It, it opens with this really sort of uncanny valley like sequence with, although I don't think it's, I don't, I say uncanny valley, but I don't think it was CGI from what I saw. Like, I think it was actually an actor. What, what, I guess it was an actor. I don't, I don't know, but it, it's supposed, it's supposed to be Donald Pleasance, obviously, as Dr. Sam Loomis, who's the other major character in the original Halloween franchise and is in the most movies of any character in the Halloween franchise. Uh, but we see like this flashback sequence at the beginning, Will Patton's character, the cop from the uh, 2018 movie um, is like flashing back to when he first encountered Michael Myers back in 78. He had the chance to like kill him. He let him get away. And we get like a one minute, like nostalgia shot, right. Of Sam Loomis coming in at the end. Um, and like I said, I, I, I can't, I don't know if you were able to find anything, Scott, but like, I don't know if it was a CGI Donald Pleasance or how they did that or whether it was an actor who just looked a lot like Donald Pleasance. So, uh, yeah. So Sam Loomis is portrayed by the film's art director, Tom Jones, and is voiced by Colin Mahan, which makes okay. me. 
think that it was some sort of CGI. Either they, yeah, I, I mean, obviously Donald did. Pleasance is not alive, so that's yeah. what's underscoring all. Of no, they this, actually but. just don't want to work with him anymore. <laughs> David Gordon Green yeah. is not a fan. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it feels really weird. It's like a nostalgia moment, and again, I feels like that's what the movie is trying to go for, but it very grossly overestimates the amount of nostalgia that we have for these other characters. Um, and they're just they're idiots. Honestly, they're stupid. Like their plan to go like to get Michael Myers basically just amounts to let's just, you know, if we if we assemble all of us, right? There's too many of us for him to kill. Yeah. Um see the title of the movie. That's all I will say. Um but also, yeah, many people have made the point, why don't they just leave this town, right? If he does this on Halloween, like if he keep if Michael Myers keeps doing this on Halloween, why is Well, he just broke out of jail. Again? To be fair, he was Yeah, that that, that is true. But yeah, I mean, p- people are kind of uh shepherding in the old sequels as well, but without of course those have been retconned. It, it does feel like these people are haunted by the presence of him for 40 years without him actually ever being around, which is, you know, yeah. I mean that is the nature of like sociology i guess and and shared con like shared memory and geez and michael has not lost anything in terms of physical acumen like in those last 40 years like he is nah. he's been he in like the crazy best shape in the of gym. his life yeah i don't yeah. he's i don't know what his workout regimen was like in those 40 years but i need to need to work on it i need to yeah. start now so i'm in prison that food. Good shape but anyway scott the movie is not very good um i was definitely disappointed you know, with that being said, I am still looking forward to Halloween Ends because it is clear that they care a lot more about that movie. And this movie really was just to bridge the gap between 2018 and um, Halloween Ends. But and I mean, I think David Gordon Green is a good filmmaker. I think it's clear that Jamie Lee Curtis has to play a more significant role in Halloween Ends. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, this is this movie is just kind of a waste of time, in my opinion. I, I mean, if you you know, if you're a Halloween fan, you got to see it, I guess, for continuity purposes. But um, just know that there's really not the level of craft or ingenuity that was present in the first movie in the franchise. It seems deliberately so. Like I, I think uh, it. I understand why this movie, you know, has a streaming release. Like I, I mean, did. Was it always going to be a day and date, or I thought at one point it was just going to Peacock, or am I wrong about that? No, you're wrong about that. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, but no, that's that's fine. I I wasn't totally confident in that, but anyway, um, it's this, this say is it's stream- not clear why it's only it's a streaming release at all. I mean, I I feel that Peacock was really lucky to end up getting this, and I think it was kind of a reaction to really like a lot of movies underperforming in September, yeah. you know, Bar Shang Chi, and I guess I what that... I should, yeah. I guess what I should say is it is a streaming quality movie, sure. in my opinion. Like that is the quality of the movie. It has the quality of a streaming original movie. Uh, and that said it's made more. It made more than Dune on opening. Right. Day, yeah. It, it, people still went out to the theaters to see it, which I guess is cool, right? Like I'm glad people are still going out to see it. Same thing with Dune, right? Dune yeah. making over forty million despite being on HBO Max as well. Yeah. I'm glad people are still going out to see this stuff, but um, yeah, I wish we would have gotten a better movie out of it. Yeah, I think, you know, watching this film on Peacock and, you know, knowing because I watched it this past weekend. And so we'd had it had its huge weekend, right? Like it had its huge 50 million at the box office. It did extremely well for Peacock. Also, I think that's been reported fairly widely in the news as well about the performance on the App Store, 
like rocketing Peacock to the top of the entire app store, not just the entertainment apps. And it clearly did resonate with people in terms of at least the type of, you know, horror content that people feel like is comfort food and want to go out to the theater and have a day, you know, have a night or have an afternoon out at the theater to see this time of year. I find it pretty remarkable because when I watched this movie, I had the pretty much the exact same experience as you. I just feel like this is th this feels like that, like really, you know, that extra episode of a TV show that gets added in to just fill the space because the network asked for 10 episodes instead of nine or something like that. Like it, it just feels like complete filler. The, the movie's only like a hundred minutes long, but it feels like 40 minutes too long. Um, at the same time, it's like pretty scary actually um, in, in that respect. And just not very much interesting happens in this film. I mean, there's some like, there are like two cool scenes in my opinion, and they all involve Michael killing people. But like, I just don't know what much else there is in this movie. There is, I mean, most of the movie is essentially this like thematic sub, I shouldn't call it a subplot, the thematic like major plot of this, you know, mob mentality storming around the Haddonfield hospital in search of Michael because they think he's broken in and is trying to kill Laurie. And then immediately following that after they've forced someone to commit suicide out of fear for their own life. Although those things don't necessarily tie together coherently, but if you watch the movie, it kind of makes sense. Um, they then storm out after Michael and just like somehow end up in the right place. It's not even clear to me how they, how they end up knowing where, where Michael yeah, is. And they're not intelligent. Like anything good that happens to them in the movie is out of sheer luck. I totally agree. And, you know, I'm fine with convenient plot points. Like, I'm not going to sit over here and say that I don't enjoy movies that have plenty of convenient plot points to them. But when you surround that convenience with other convenient moments and characters that don't make any sense, it just adds up to something that's not effective in terms of its storytelling or in terms of its narrative. And for me personally, not very enjoyable as a result of that. Um, some people, I'm sure, enjoyed it. Some people, it might have been exactly what they were hoping to watch on, you know, that particular weekend, uh, you know, two weekends before Halloween. And that's great. I'm glad they got to watch that. I myself, you know, when we watch Malignant, I'm sure based on your reaction, I'll probably I, I'll pretty much have to enjoy that more than this. Like, even if I don't, if it, even if I'm not in the bag for Malignant, I can't imagine not, not enjoying that more because it just I'm gonna sounds be so pissed if you're if you don't like it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um yeah, it's just a big disappointment, I think, ultimately, because, you know, I'm I'm not someone who's a huge fan of the slasher horror genre. I feel like every time I watch a horror movie, I just talk about how I'm not a huge fan of horror movies unless they're a particular type. And I felt that Halloween 2018 was that, you know, did did carve itself a sliver of that niche of horror genre that I enjoy. Because I did think it was doing something interesting with its themes, with the fact like the psychologist ended up helping Michael, like try to kill Laurie. I thought that was a really interesting um, development. I thought that this whole modernizing of the lore of Halloween was interesting too. And they just sort of didn't even bother with any of that at all. Uh, you say it's a film about nostalgia and being nostalgic for the first Halloween movie. And look, I don't have that nostalgia for the movie. So maybe I'm not the right person to, to give a comment on this. But man, I just like don't know how they're capturing any nostalgia for that film. 
Well, yeah, it fa- it fails. I mean, again, that yeah. was that was their attempt by bringing these characters back, obviously, but and having the whole I opening mean, scene, Sam Loomis, right? Yeah, Sam yeah. Loomis coming back in that opening scene as well. Yeah, I just I just didn't get it. Uh, wasn't wasn't for me. Maybe I'm glad I didn't walk all the way to the theater to watch this. I'm glad that I just sat on my couch and watched it in a two hour slot of free time that I had on Saturday. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I have much more to say. And Tommy Doyle, we should add, he wasn't. It's not just that he was one of the kids that Laurie babysits. He is a character in. He has the been Revenge portrayed. Michael Myers, Myers, played the, by Paul. The Rudd, Curse actually. of Michael Myers. Was it the Curse of Michael Myers? Curse yeah. of Michael Myers. Okay, but yeah. played by Paul Rudd. But yep. the other characters, from what I understand, are just you know, all, again, kids from the original movie. I do think. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right about that. I was I think Nancy Stevens was in Halloween H2O, but okay. Again, like not these are not major characters who played major roles. And it's it's just weird, right? When you think about like this is supposed to be a different continuity from those movies, right? It's like such a bizarre such And a bizarre the movie thing. is like very violent too. I mean, I know that oh, sounds, yeah. you know, trite to say for a slasher movie, but so it was like, 2018. Yeah, it's very, but even more, this takes to a whole new level, like very brutally violent. And when you don't have anything to care about emotionally, yeah, it's just like you just left with an emptiness like you really are. Like, it's just it's just kind of a, a ugly movie at you know the end of the day as well. I, I guess I remember the 2018 being pretty bad because isn't there the whole thing with the teeth in the 2018 film? Well, yeah, but there he's only killing like two people in that scene, but. It's the podcast. Oh, you're saying the the that sort of big scene, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the scene where he is in his childhood house with Allison, and I think that kid's name is Cameron. I mean, that that one's pretty brutal. Yeah, um, that's a pretty tough one. But yeah, I I think that's a fair point. If you don't have many people to root for, although I was rooting for Andy Matichak, I for no reason other than just the fact that I think there's something that could be. That there's something about the generational thing, right? That that should be interesting. I think the sort of like generational learning and and how this like fear and stuff, this like kind of like almost the sociological points that I was talking about a little bit ago. There's like something interesting that could be done there, and I and I like Andy Matichek at least from the first movie. I really enjoyed her character, and they just don't do much with it. I don't know. I mean, I mean, none of. I mean, I guess the most they do is with Judy Greer's character. Yeah. Uh, but. I don't know. She's like the one I didn't care about at all. Like she's the she's the one in the middle that I didn't care about. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, she like, you know, it's obvious. Like, you know, her her arc in the first movie is kind of like, oh, you know, like Lori, you kind of just need to get over it. Like, mom, you know, this happened so long ago. Like, you know, I don't, you know, you're being ridiculous. Don't you want to be a part of our lives? Blah 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 blah. And then you know, of course, as Michael comes back, it's like her, you know realizing and coming to terms with like the trauma that her mom has faced and what that actually still means to her 40 years later. Um, but yeah. I, and, and so in this movie, she's definitely more explicitly like, you know, she's out to get Michael, right? She's like everybody else because you know, yeah. she understands now. So that's something that's new, but then I mean, spoiler time, I guess. Sure. She, 
dies, I guess, at the end of the movie. I mean, she maybe I I'm, is, I have no idea what's happening in the last scene of this yeah, movie. I mean, she is stabbed in front of a window at the end of the movie by Michael. Um, and it seems for all intents and purposes as if she is dead. But who knows? It just seems so weird because it's like this weird monologue over it happening. And it almost feels kind of dreamy, like a dream sequence. Cause like you have, Jamie maybe that's Curtis what we'll find out. Yeah. Staring out the window wistfully. I don't know why she'd be wistful looking out the window of this hospital. Um, unless she just really wants to be out there going hand to hand knife combat with Michael 24 seven, um, which, you know, she's, deranged i think in in the 2018 version that is exactly what she wants to be doing probably but yeah i just don't i don't i don't get it like i think that that's not the this franchise's bag to like have like oh tricked you you know this character we showed getting brutally stabbed didn't actually die that was just a dream so I, i can't help but like my mind is telling me that no, no, she's dead. But I'm just like, why would they have done this? I, it looked yeah, because, weird. Because again, they, they don't make any bones about it, right? Like Michael, when he dies, he comes back five minutes later, right? Like no, no, no matter like in yeah. this movie. Well, I'm not talking about just in this movie. I'm talking about in the first oh, movie sure, too, sure. right? Like, you know, they killed my, but before we go, they make sure to let you know that, oh, Michael is actually Because you hear alive, his breathing right? or whatever, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. He's still in the house. Um, they did that in the and, last movie too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's a different scenario because it's not Michael that we're talking about here, but it does feel like, yeah, if, if it seems like if she was going to be around for the third one, then they would have hinted at that. But like, yeah. I don't know. It just seems weird that like, cause again, I feel like the whole thing was set up in the first movie about these, this trio of, yeah, you know, the strode women. So for one of them to be missing for like the climax of it is odd. It it is odd. It makes me feel like David Gordon David Gordon Green was able to make a really good, you know, soft reboot. But like telling this overarching story is just you know, whether it's him or whether it's this the screenwriters. I don't know if he actually does he have is Danny McBride also co write this one or? Yeah, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green and Scott Teams, who I don't even know who that is, um did did write this together. I, I just I don't know what they're doing um, with that narrative. Cause again, I feel like that is the most interesting, you know, through line behind just like trying to kill Michael is that is exactly what you're trying the generational component and understanding how like that, like that is the thematic substance that is, that should be, you know, best and most easily mined. Right. Especially with what you're doing with Laurie as a character coming back 30, 40 years later and to off, Judy Greer just feels strange, but maybe that brings her, her being Laurie's character, you know, even, I mean, she was always, I mean, if they don't have her play a central role in the third movie, what are they doing? But um, Andy Matichek, I guess maybe gets a bigger role, but she's like pretty seriously injured. If she's going to be playing a major breaks role. Her leg, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Breaks her leg. It's pretty nasty. Um, pretty nasty looking. So I so can't help but think have... it's a, deranged yeah. old woman breaking out of the hospital and wheelchair bound granddaughter trying to yeah. fight Michael Myers. I'm sure this is going to go really well. Yeah. I mean, all I'll say that now that we're just talking about spoilers as well, it's just the moments right before that, which ultimately leads to Judy Greer getting stabbed in the back is that the townspeople don't finish Michael <laughs> off. I mean, my, my guys, I mean, come on, come on dudes. You've been manhunting this guy down all night long. You forced a guy to jump out of a window at the hospital 
and you're not just unloading all of your weapons into this guy. Like, what are you doing? My guys, he does. He's not going to have a funeral. He's there's not going to be an open casket. You don't have to worry about it. You got to blow this guy off. The as the here. saying, as the saying goes, evil is severely injured tonight. That is what they keep <laughs> yeah. chanting the whole movie. Evil is severely injured tonight. Are you sure he's even severely injured? Because he looked like he was fine. Can anything shot. severely injure him? I mean, that. that I mean, they the burned his mask, so that, that's probably the most damage that's ever been done to Michael. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, and by they, I mean, Laurie true. did that in the first film. Here. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, they try to make some larger point, I guess, about mob mentality and oh, yeah, you know, that cancel culture. You know, this doesn't actually accomplish anything, um, but it just comes across like it doesn't come, the point doesn't come across because all you're thinking the whole time is these people are stupid, right? You're not thinking that like. Oh, this is a, it's the mobs are morally fundamentally wrong or whatever. Like, and that's, that's yeah. the real lesson from all this. You're thinking, no, no, these people were dumb. They had a dumb plan and they got what they deserved. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's not interesting when you make your characters that you're trying to make a thematic point about caricatures on like one end of, of the thematic spectrum. It's why something like i mean this is again this is another extreme but like it's why vice doesn't work as a film like you're just painting these like like obviously xyz thing is bad but then to create a character to make the point about how xyz is bad you make this this the character so one-dimensional and stupid looking that it's like it's not believable because this person can't just be as simple as this yeah um, and that's 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 the treatment that townspeople get um, Scott, I don't know if we really have much more to add around that. So why don't we talk about something that is good about this movie? Let's talk about some of the some of the gore, some of the kills. I think I alluded to the fact that there are a couple scenes of, of gore and killing of that Michael is responsible for that worked for me and were the most fun parts of the movie. Was that the case for you? I mean, I I guess I, I don't know. I'm even even as I sit here, I'm having trouble remembering too many of the kills, um, which is not usually a good sign. But so I can start. There, the ones that come to mind. The the ones that come to mind yeah. most for me are the firefighter sequence at the beginning, which I don't think is one of the ones that I thought was really cool. I was just like, yeah, whatever. This is pretty bland. He's like taking their 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 firefighter tools from them, ripping them out of their hands and just killing them. With it. It Again, so weird. Just stupidity, right? They just like let him out of the basement, and even though, you know, Laurie is like screaming, let it burn, let it burn, you know. And... I mean, it's not like they can hear her screaming that and they don't know yeah, who this get, random yeah, person I mean, driving the other direction not. is. But I, I do not. think it's 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 weird to me that they're all just like standing outside as this like clearly deranged killer is walking out yeah. of the house. And it's just like, you know what? Let's fire up my chainsaw and then let him take it from my hands and behead me with it. Like, mm -hmm. I know the guy is strong, but like, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? It doesn't make any sense. The second one that comes to mind is at like the the park where Marion and I think it's I don't remember which one dies first, but I think Lindsay or Marion, one of them die um, at, in this car along with a couple stragglers they picked up along the way yeah. and the other one escapes to the riverbed and then in the house uh with andy and cameron and there's also big john and little john who i mean oh right yeah we <laughs> haven't mentioned them the the gay yeah. couple who the live canonical in gay couple in this franchise yeah who live in michael's old house again again it's like they're not even trying right these aren't even 
these aren't even nostalgia characters. Like these characters aren't even in any of the other movies to what I, from what I understand, but like, you don't remember big John and little John from Halloween 13 and a half. It's like, they want you to feel something for these people because they, so what? Yeah. But that wasn't the one that I was particularly talking about, but it's more the one where they find big John and little John's dead bodies. And then uh, Cameron uh, gets brutally bashed against the stairwell banister. Mm-hmm. And Andy Matichek's character does roll down the stairs. It was tense. The that particular kill wasn't interesting, but I do think the kills are a little bit more fun. I did message you when I was watching the uh, you know earlier scene that I was talking about in the park, where I believe the woman's name is Vanessa, has a revolver and is trying to shoot Michael, and has to definitely be definitely the most memorable one. Yeah, <laughs> has to be one of the dumbest ways I've ever seen someone die in a movie in years just i can't think of one that tops this but she's like aiming this revolver firing it at michael and michael just opens the door hits her hand or hits the revolver and she shoots and she herself tur- in the and face. turns and she shoots herself in the face i just don't even know how that happens i just don't understand how how that works because physics <laughs> because cinema actually so scott that's all i got for for action um did you like the realness and the grittiness of the hospital sequences were they harrowing to see Jamie Lee Curtis come through alive. No, it feels like they've really just like taken this character off of the deep end, right? Like where yeah. it, it, you know, the first movie, they it seemed like they were actually interested in sort of exploring this whole deep seated psychological trauma that she's faced. And now it's just like, we're going to make her crazy, right? Like there's not a lot of nuance to it, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, and again, maybe they'll fix some of this in the third movie. But I don't, I don't lo- what little they did with Laurie in the movie. I don't love that this is the direction they chose to go in. No, Scott, I, I don't think there's much of a chance they're going to they're going to do that in the third movie. If anything, I think they're actually going to go the other direction and become and somehow make her more deranged in the third. Yeah, movie. I mean, it's entirely possible. Yeah, well, guess we'll see what happens. Uh, any characters you want to talk about? I mean actors performance any characters any <laughs> yeah i mean there there um, are characters in this no uh, i mean anthony michael hall is the other big name here i guess um but i suppose that is true i mean he's not that great in the movie his first scene is like this really bizarre like open mic at like the <laughs> this bar yeah. where all of the other like survivors and stuff are and he's like you know talking about how it's the 40th anniversary or whatever um but it's just a really weird scene um and again i didn't really like his character all that much um it's a weird scene that that again i think that there's there's something that you can make of that right this whole sociological phenomenon of like shared trauma and things like that there's something you can do with that but they didn't do it they didn't whatever whatever it is that they could do with it they didn't do that yeah they they didn't um and then you know like i mentioned you know Allison's boyfriend, Cameron, like Rip. Yeah, don't really care. Didn't really care about him in the first movie. Definitely don't this time. What did you what did you think of his dad who was uh pinned to the ceiling? No thoughts whatsoever. Um that's about about this character. Um yeah, uh, Will Patton is back, which again, another character I quite liked in the first movie. Like I think He's Will Patton's a very good character actor. He's he was a, a good choice for that role. Um, but also kind of sidelined a little bit in this movie and like 
they're one they more like than a little bit up, he was he was sidelined some, in this movie. set up a subplot with like him and laurie having had a relationship and like oh is that him, what they were doing i missed that. him possibly being karen's dad maybe I, that's kind of what oh my i god I what i got of the scene this. in the hospital of them like talking I must have zoned out completely while watching this scene. <laughs> I did not get that at yeah. all. I, I don't I'm not remembering it too well, but I remember thinking that at the time that like that was you know kind of discussed during that that hospital scene when they're both there, right? Yeah, you're probably right, man. I like I said, I zoned out for that section of the movie probably. But anyway, I- any of the characters that you actually care about are either in the hospital or don't really get that involved until later on and have much interesting much less interesting arcs than the first movie no i'm reading i'm reading the wikipedia summary it says laurie and hawkins both awaken in the same room and reminisce about their former relationship with laurie meaning that she's unsure if hawkins may be karen's father or not yeah okay i thought there was something about that then hawkins assures laurie that nothing more than a kiss happened between the two of them i don't know i don't know what's happening i don't i literally scott i I know for the third movie i mean i know that scene happened I remember them talking, reminiscing in that scene. Don't remember anything. No no judgment here. That's the kind of movie this is. Yeah, well, judge me. I don't care. Uh, Scott, anything else you want to add or should we wrap this up? Let's wrap it up. All right. Favorite scene or moment? I'm trying to think if there's anything other than the one that we talked about. Uh, The credits rolling. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was a pretty, pretty satisfying moment, I guess. yeah, I mean the intro's not bad. Um, yeah, I was just sitting there like, why are we doing this? Like, I, you know, I almost preferred it to like, you know, in in a lot of these slasher movies, the killer, of course, always survives at the end of the movie, and they don't even really explain it, right? Like, it's just he's still alive or whatever. We well, he hid in how. like this little like little yeah. alcove or whatever, where the where there is like a no, no, no. I know that's what happens in this movie. I'm oh. saying in other slasher movies, that's how it works. I almost prefer just the we're not even going to explain it approach to like yeah. what we get in this movie, right? Where like it's, you know, like you said, he hides out, then the firefighters come in and let him out. I'm just like, come on, like, let's just, you know, let's just say, let's skip all this. Let's just say Michael Myers is still alive because he's Michael Myers because, you know, we're not idiots. Yeah. Um, You know, I am going to be a bit facetious here, I guess, and, and say my favorite moment was actually when the title card hits because the Halloween theme, Scott, it still rips. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, and it's like a little bit of a... Oh, well, it's still John Carpenter that did the score for the movie, I believe, right? Um, I mean... But the theme is a little bit more sped up than, like, the original. Yeah, Like, I'm no, pretty he, sure he composed original music for this movie. Like, I, I don't know I don't, if I... Yeah. Or, or at least it, for the first one, but... He, uh, and, yeah, I mean, no, he and his son have the credit for the score. Yeah, because the, the-, the theme that we hear in this movie is not the exact theme that we hear in the original Halloween. I mean, like I said, or the, or the one from three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's more sped up. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, he makes great music. I mean, I just watched, I'm not like, I'm I'm not sitting here saying I've watched a bunch of John Carpenter movies, but every of the three or four that I've seen of his, I mean, the score just rips every time. I mean, it's so good. Follow John Carpenter on Twitter too. He's a big ABBA fan. He tweeted about that recently. What like old horror director died recently. I felt like they're for sure. Wes Craven. That is that is who I was thinking. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's been a few years, but yeah, yeah. All right, so let's put a score on it out of ten. What are you giving Halloween Kills? Three point seven. This movie is not good. (laughs) 
Uh, 3.7 sounds good. I'll give that a 3.72. I hadn't really thought about my score too much, but that sounds like a, a good, good number. Good GPA. <laughs> it is. You'll, you'll probably get into college with that GPA. Uh, oh, unfortunately, yeah. you won't go into the AFI top 100 with that GPA, though. Um, so, Scott, with that, why don't we close the door on Halloween for a year? Because Halloween ends, is, I believe, is coming out this time next year. I think it's, I think it's late October 2022. Uh, so we'll see you then. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, We'll be talking about the latest casting news for the upcoming Barbie movie and the trailer for Uncharted. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It's Got. Again, we're still on the Halloween episode. On our last episode, we didn't get to talk about news because we did just go on and on about how amazing Dune was. So we are going to catch up with some news today. But first, by the grace of God, Scott, our dreams and our prayers and our wishes have been answered. We are getting Dune Part 2. It was officially greenlit today. We know it's coming this time, two years from now, October 2023, assuming it isn't delayed. Instant reactions. You know, just the other day, we were just praying for a sequel. How do you feel? Uh, Very excited. Um, Yeah, I I think I was starting to feel, especially after we saw the numbers, that like this is probably about 95% that this is going to happen. But it's still exciting to see them right away pull the trigger on it. Um, And yeah, I mean, it it does make you think that this was probably in the plan all along, as long as it did decently well. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, I said it in our Dune review. I would have sat there and watched the second part right after the first one ended, probably. So, um, of course, of course, I'm excited, and I'm excited it's coming as soon as it is. And I'm faced with the disrespectful task of having to decide for 2023 what is my more anticipated movie, Oppenheimer or Dune Part Two. It's Dune Part Two, but it's disrespectful that I have to choose. There are other directors, but yes, I agree. <laughs> Well, we don't know what movies are coming in 23. Oh, unless you're unless you're trying to say is Barbie coming out in 23 or is that next year? Oh, you know, I I, I feel like I I, I, I want to say 2023 because I think we were so shocked that the movie wasn't coming out yeah. um, until a certain day. And it, I don't think we would have been shocked if it was coming out next year. So that, that must be coming in 2023. Also, Greta, I mean, is doing the white noise, which is coming out next year right now. So. She's she's not directing that though. She's just she's but she's, she's in it. it. Yeah, she's, she's starring in it. in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I know she's also heavily involved with the creative process for those movies too. So she, I'm sure she's quite busy outside just the acting. Um, yeah, so. I guess does she, does she, is she not getting a co-writing on White Noise? I mean, this is kind of a a sidebar, but I mean, she yeah. did on the other two movies, obviously that she was in well not greenberg but the two most recent movies that she was in with noah bombback was she was a co-writer as well and obviously they're you know partners now so you would think but i don't know i haven't seen anything about that it's also an adaptation unlike those other two were so maybe this is something that noah is tackling on his own but noah bombback obviously is going to be a co-writer on barbie so yeah this as of right now which i don't know if it's final or not but it's only Noah Baumbach with the with the screenwriting credit right now. Gotcha. Um, it is a Netflix movie. It's it that is definitely coming out next year. Adam and Greta, um, leading the cast, basically 
Noah Baumbach mainstays at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know if that will change if she will end up getting the screenwriting credit or, or maybe she is creatively less involved with this one. Maybe this is something that that Noah has been doing for a long time. I mean, this book came out in the 80s. Maybe he's been writing this this screenplay for for decades, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so hard to say. Also wanted to follow up on something that you mentioned in part one about what our lost episode was. There might be a, a, a pretty garbled episode out there, but the episode that is like actually lost, you cannot watch this anywhere. I do not have the audio files cannot be found. That was Halloween in 2018 and First Man. That was our last episode. Mm, okay. Yeah. Interesting. We don't get to talk about the moon and Michael. One of the greatest scenes of the 2010s, in my opinion. But yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't wait for us to talk about Damien Chazelle's next movie. I'll leave it at that. Sure. That's got to be coming soon, right? What is that called? Babylon? Babylon, right. Yeah. Yeah. Is that Brad Pitt and I don't know. Sure. I can't remember. Maybe. I th- I think Emma Stone's in it. I don't know. Emma Stone again. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's coming out next year, so that's cool. Something to look forward to. Anyway, thanks to look forward to, Scott. Uh, I think that there is some casting news that I alluded to before the break that you would like to talk about for a movie that you yeah. were quite excited for. I mean, we were just talking about it, actually, just a moment ago, the movie. But uh, yes, Barbie announced some new casting news this is of course going to be the next movie directed by uh, Greta Gerwig uh I mentioned there also she's also writing it uh co-writing it with Noah Baumbach um we know that Margot Robbie is going to be starring as Barbie and now we know that Ken is going to be played by Ryan Gosling um I think some people maybe raised an eyebrow at this uh due to the age uh, I think, you know, maybe some people are feeling he's a little bit old for uh, Ken. But honestly, we have no idea what this movie is going to be, right? Like Greta Gerwig taking on Barbie is, I mean, it's imp- it's impossible to predict sort of, I, I think, what the, the spin on this is going to be. Um, because it's such an interesting mash of director and, you know, director slash writer. And, and there's no real matter. source material for this film, right? It's not like this is an adaptation. There's probably Barbie lore out there somewhere, but yes, oh God. You're, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right. right. There probably is. I don't want to get roasted in the comments. Um, but, you know, I am expecting my, my reaction to this news is pretty positive. I am expecting that this is going to be more comedic in nature, even if it's not like a flat out comedy. Greta's movies are always funny. Like she is a very funny writer. So like even something, you know, like Lady Bird, for example, is not an outright comedy, certainly, but it has a lot of funny scenes in it. It's definitely a comedy drama. Is the the same way. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's not a straight up comedy. But anyway, um, my point is you would expect this to have a lot of comedic elements. I think Ryan Gosling is a very talented comedic actor. I have not always been a fan of his dramatic work. We just mentioned First Man there a second ago, that being an example. I don't know. I just find him a little bland um, a lot of times in his dramatic work. However, when he is allowed to cut loose, um, and the two movies I'm thinking of in particular, Crazy Stupid Love and The Nice Guys, uh, two movies where he is incredible. Um, you know, those are his two best performances for me. The, the comedic um, energy that he brings uh, in those movies. Um, I just feel like that's really where his strengths lie as an actor. And for whatever reason, people are underusing him in those roles. People are, you know, throwing him in like these Oscar Beatty roles of like, Neil, you know, Neil Armstrong, 
you know, La La Land is a fantastic movie, but I don't think he's anywhere near the best part about that movie. Um, and, you know, just just other examples, the Nicholas Winding Refn movies that he's in drive only God forgives, you know, whatever. But um, I hope that um, most people would I mean, agree with you, to be fair on that. But yes, on drive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, um, you know, I think Greta Gerwig has proven time and time again, she can get magic out of her actors. Um, like, you know, like, well, I mean, with her two movies, I guess that yeah, she's directed twice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, li Little Women, just top to bottom, the cast, everyone in that cast is just phenomenal. And the same with Lady Bird. Um, so regardless of what the tone is, I think Greta's going to get a great performance out of Ryan. But if it's comedic in nature, even better, because I think, you know, you talk about somebody who's already a great comedic actor, in my opinion, in, you know, in Ryan Gosling, and you put him with one of the best and funniest writer directors working today. Um, it's a match made in heaven. Yeah. I mean, I was a big fan of his in Blade Runner 2049, which not a comedy. Uh, Denis Villeneuve doesn't know how to inject any comedy into his work. And that's okay. Cause he's really good at what he does. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought it was less the age gap for me and more just, I felt like kind of a weird choice. Um, I do think I did. I was surprised they didn't go for someone younger, but the age wasn't the weird part of it to me. I haven't seen either crazy stupid love or the nice guys although i think that i probably would enjoy both of those films to be honest um so i'm curious to see what will come up i thought that they would go for i don't know someone like a little bit less mainstream to be honest i mean they have margot robbie i mean right not like ryan Go i mean ryan gosling will add more you know more butts and seats he is a big name star people go to see movies that have ryan gosling in them it's just the truth um but i was kind of surprised they didn't go for someone like a glenn powell or who was younger who not necessarily because he fits a, a vibe show, more, but because I think you can play with stereotypes, which I can only assume is what she's going to be doing. Like they're going to be riffing on sure. some stereotypes and making yeah. some thematic assessments of those things. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just kind of surprised they didn't go that direction, but I have no reason to distrust the direction that they are going with this casting. And so I'm interested to see what comes of it. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, but, you know, Ryan Gosling, he's, He's older, but he's still a heartthrob. So maybe that's the th thought process. That's there. true. He's the moody, silent type. So people he think is. that still, I think that's still in fashion. Don't ask I'm, me. I need to be moodier and more silent, I guess. I don't know. I, need, I probably need to not have a podcast. I need to be more Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 3 and less Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 2. Like you're the better version of yourself, I, I suppose, but not the one yes. you need to be. I don't know what the, I don't know what like the high level takeaway is from that. Well, he's he's a lot moodier in, yeah. in number three, is what I mean. Then. Yeah, that's fair. And, I mean, he's moody in all of them, but <laughs> the third the third yeah. one it takes it to a whole new level. He's definitely got some teen angst, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and and does dial it up to eleven. But anyway, Scott, speaking of dialing things up to eleven, uh, the Uncharted trailer, which I gotta say, before I even give my thoughts on what I think of this trailer, people just lost their mind about this thing, and like not in a good way. I mean, I don't know if non-video game related twitter um thought any differently about this movie but man people were outraged about this trailer some of the people that i follow that are more tied into the video game space i mean just people going nuts about how horrible this thing looked and i'm gonna be honest got to, to segue into my thoughts about this i don't know what they're talking about like this movie doesn't look good but like what did you expect <laughs> 
Like I, I don't know. Like, they cast Mark Wahlberg as Sully. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are they thinking? Yeah. Say hello to your Sully for me. Um. Yeah. Exactly. Like to to be honest, I actually thought the trailer was better than I thought than it was than you know I had anticipated it to be. I thought it was going to be trash. At least they the the context around these two actors of Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg looks like it's probably an Uncharted movie, um, which is better than I can say for the two people they've cast in the roles. I just they they are throwing the um the clear I don't want to say continuity. And I don't want to say lore because I think both those things are overused or not quite the right way. But I think they're they're throwing the the feel, the character feel of Nate and Sully out the back of that plane that they show in the trailer um, when they cast those two. And that's fine. Like, I don't think every adaptation has to, like, be true to like 100 percent faithful and true and perfectly match the casting um, from its source material. Like, I think that's OK to not do that. But also, like, come on, Mark Wahlberg, come on, <laughs> come on, get out of here. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, and Tom Holland, too. Tom Holland does not make any sense for this role of Nathan Drake. Like, I'm sorry. I know that they're yeah. going for more of a prequel, like, origin story type thing, right? Which they but... do in Uncharted 3. <laughs> yeah. It's not even making any sense. Uh... All, I see, all I see with Tom Holland is, is Peter Parker. Like, I'm sorry, that's... That is yeah. what I see for better or for worse. That is what he has made his name off of. And the dude's going to have to go to full Robert Pattinson exile to get yeah, his, until to get he shows, yeah, back. Until he shows that he can do something like you're saying, like go down a Pattinson rabbit hole. Um, I don't know. I This character is, he's just, Tom Holland is just like too like clean cut and innocent to be Nathan Drake, I think ultimately is what it boils down to i mean nathan drake is like the charming rogue right he is um an indiana jones type figure um he has you know a toughness about him that i just don't get from from tom hall i mean you know i I, obviously it's oh you didn't see cherry (laughs) it's the uh you know fan casting for years or whatever and it it wouldn't work anymore but like nathan fillion definitely would have been perfect for this i mean they literally made a fan movie with nathan fillion playing on playing nathan drake i'm pretty sure yeah i mean it it would have been perfect like it's it's all you see when you see nathan drake but i mean he's not the only person that they could have cast i I still think there's you know other people that would have been a better choice than tom holland but yeah like this movie has just been pending for so long you know, I, I this they're probably on their tenth choice at this point. And okay. get do you know like, who the director is, Scott? That this the movie's had so yeah, many directors. Ru- do you even know who it Ruben is? Ruben Fleischer. It is Ruben yeah. Fleischer. But still, I mean, come um, on, so many directors. <laughs> yeah, and like I imagine at this point in the production, when it's been so tumultuous, when you get yeah. somebody like Tom Holland, who is a massive star, yep. to say, "Yeah, I'll do this," you don't really think about, "Oh, well, is he going to match the character that well?" You say, "Yes, I." If, if you're still wanting to be in this movie after all this time, then yes, I want you to be in the movie. And the same with Mark Wahlberg, right? Like, he's still a movie star, for sure. Um, and Netflix movie star. He's a streaming yeah. star at this point. At this point, I think they just want to get this movie made. That's the impression I get. Um, and yeah. if there was some adaptation at some point, that was going to be, like, super faithful, uncharted adaptation for all the, you know, yeah. the video game heads. We've we've long passed that point. I agree, and and here's my but thing. the action does look the action does look Uncharted esque. I will say that, like the 
you know, climbing the boxes or whatever attached yeah. to the plane or whatever he's doing in the in the trailer. I mean, there's a scene very similar to that exact thing yeah. in Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3. Like, like the context and, like, the the settings, they look Uncharted. Like, they look like they took settings out of the games and put them into onto the big screen. And that's great. There's just some, like, weird, uncanny valiness about the whole thing, though. As in, they're yeah. trying to give you something from the games, but then, like, the actual, the real meat on the bones is, like, that doesn't taste like Uncharted. Right. That's what I was going to say. Like they, they feel, it's like they felt like, oh, we'll just put it in some, you know, exotic locations. We'll do some stunts that look like the game and nobody will know the difference. But no, like that's not the only reason people like Uncharted, right? People like it because of the characters and in particular Nathan Drake and Sully. So, yeah, and in my opinion, like if you're going to if you're I like on principle, like there's again, there's nothing wrong with casting people who don't give the exact same vibe as the original characters. But, like, you got to do your own thing. Then, Like, you got to clearly do your own thing with that if you're going to go that direction. And it doesn't seem like... It seems like they're trying to have the best of both worlds. Like, they're trying to cast these movie stars who don't really quite give the vibe of the characters, but then also have the characters do the things that did in the video games. And that just doesn't work. Yeah, I'd say another another example that comes to mind is when they cast Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Which I actually, I mean, that movie didn't turn out bad in my opinion, but yeah, Tom Cruise, because, but you know, it's a generic, it's a Tom Cruise action movie, right? Like that, that's what made it good. Like I've, I've read, I think I've read a couple of the Jack Reacher books, but I don't know that that movie was like super faithful to the Jack Reacher character in the end. I mean, it's also weird because then you go deeper down the cast list. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. It's also I was just thinking more about this whole casting because like you have Tom Holland, you have Mark Wahlberg, but then you're going for like actual authentic casting with Sophia Taylor Ali as Chloe from who's introduced in the second game. I mean, she actually looks like Chloe from the second game. Mm-hmm. Like that seems like actually pretty a pretty fair casting, if not accurate casting. So I'm just like sometimes you're going one way, sometimes you're going another way, and I I just I don't <laughs> don't get it. I don't get it. The movie's not going to turn out good. It's coming no, out it's in not. February, February or March. March, February. I think it's a Valentine's Day movie. I'm not even joking. Like I think it's coming out around Valentine's Day. Um, Lovely. Which I don't even think I'll be around for because I'm going out of town around that time. So maybe we'll spare ourselves of it. That'd be something. My Valentine's Day gift to you, Scott. I mean, of course, I am morbidly curious after all this these years, but... Uh, I won't be once the once it drops that the movie's two and a half hours long. I'm sure. Oh no, Scott, how would you feel if it was ninety two minutes? I'd be there in a heartbeat. Like I would. That would be most awesome. anticipated movie of twenty twenty two. Let's not go that far. <laughs> yeah. Like Ven- Venom, let there be carnage. We didn't talk about it on the podcast. That is an example of a movie that probably would have been horrible if it was two hours long. And I know you didn't like it at all. It was still horrible at 90 minutes long. 95 minutes or whatever it was, I didn't hate myself for watching it. I had a decent time. More movies need to learn that lesson. I didn't have a good time even at 90 minutes, but more movies do need to be shorter. I will agree with that. As I just saw Dune two or two times, and we'll probably watch it a third or fourth time. But, you know, if every movie can be like Dune, they can be as long as they want to be. I'll say that much. Fair enough. All right, Scott, that should just about do it for episode 163 of Some Like It, Scott. Anything else you want to you want to leave with us today? Any other movies you want to shout out, other things you've been seeing? 
No, I don't really guess so. Um, you know, I'll have a lot to report next weekend, of course, yeah. after or you know, again, weird mm-hmm. things with timing. I guess you'll be hearing this on Sunday, but on our next episode, you'll be hearing about me talk about the Virginia Fub Fest. That's really I'm just counting down the the days till Friday so I can uh head head over there to Charlottesville and um should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. I saw the French dispatch this weekend. It's very Wes Anderson. It's his first omnibus film. It's essentially three and a half films smashed together um, for like a one hour, 50 minute runtime. It's delightful. It's not my favorite of his. Um, and it, but it's a good movie and it's quite, it's quite Wes Anderson, which I mean, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's Wes Anderson. <laughs> the only kind of movie he knows how to make. So um, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's nothing wrong with the, with the way he makes movies. So yeah, it was, it was a fun time. Um, I know you're seeing it in a couple weeks. I did not realize that whenever I can, yeah. we originally contemplated at some point doing a, a double episode with Dune and the French dispatch, I think. And just with no understanding that this thing only released in 50 theaters yeah. this past weekend, this thing, I felt like this thing was like advertised as being a wide release on the same day as Dune. I, I, I just completely missed that. Maybe we just imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably did. I just like you, you said it when we were talking about it off air i think but just like why does a wes anderson movie need a limited release it has a built-in audience like cinephiles are gonna go see this thing like i don't just yeah. i just don't get it like and, and you can't say they're like trying to avoid a big blockbuster like dune because i'm pretty sure it's wide release is on the eternals weekend which I, which will probably open bigger than dune you know so yeah. i don't i don't know what the point was but what do i know i enjoyed it go out and see the french dispatch if you like wes anderson and uh, it's in a theater near you. You should do it. Alrighty. Where can people find you on Twitter or Letterboxd, Scott? I am at Scarby Dent on both. And I can be found at Shelton 2013 on both. You can also follow our podcast at Patreon, www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. There's a bunch of different tiers over there. Check them out. You can get the podcast early. You can help us choose what movies we do. Plenty of things for you to check out over there. If you can support us, we'd appreciate that. But if not, that's okay. You can still find us on all your podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., where we'd appreciate if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, all that stuff. And with that, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about Halloween Kills. We'll be back in just a few days' time later this week with a review of Edgar Wright's foray into the psychological thriller genre last night in Soho. Until then, For Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.